This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animals. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly before we preview and take a look at what has been a fantastic Women's World Cup, the final coming up, an epic final it will be. Tracy Holmes has been doing a brilliant job hosting the SBS coverage. Who will win Team USA or the Dutch in their first ever World Cup? The men never won one. Will it be the women who break the drought? And then with the independent A-League finally agreed this past week, we talked to the Australian's business finance man, the only man to talk to on finance and money in sport, John Stensholt. It's been a while since we've had John. I'm looking forward to having a chat with him. Then Willem, Dean and I will break down what has been a couple of fantastic semi-finals in the World Cup and uh, and make some predictions for the final in the second hour. As we always do, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos Central and we'll give an update on the Pararoos as well. And we'll continue with the conversation around the local sport with uh, the chairman of the AAFC, soon to be departing chairman, ahead of his appointment to lead the Western Sydney MacArthur side in two years' time. Uh, Rabbi's chats are always good. And then Dino, Willem and I will jump back into the chat. It won't be about Europe, actually. It'll be about the African Cup of Nations and the Copper America. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with Edge in stoppage time. So, Dino, it's been a, a great tournament. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a really good tournament, um, Rob. Um it's most probably the one that I've watched most of, of the ones in the past. Uh, I think with Australia going in with, I thought, some really big hopes. But I've been so impressed with England's uh, passage through, the Dutch. Um, and obviously the Americans have been excellent. And I'm very impressed how, how good a side they are. And Willem, uh, I don't know you're about to get into the news, but um, as a young man who uh, um, has probably... Uh, you know, been a, a growing up through the emergence of, of the women's game. Uh, how have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, Rob. I think the take-home for mine from the tournament is leading in. We were hearing the Europeans are coming, they're building, they're going to be a force, and I think they've well and truly arrived. Mm. At this addition, seven of the last eight quarter-finalists were European. The US could still well take out the whole thing, but I think they've emerged as a superpower well and truly. Mm. Yeah, OK, we'll get stuck into the news. One more you got for us from the, the top. Big domestic news of the week. The A-League, W-League and National Youth League will be run independently of the FFA as of next season. The FFA will retain a good of the game share in the leagues, but otherwise the competitions will be run by a new organisation. Each of the 12 clubs will have a seat on the new A-League board, along with two FFA representatives and an independent chair. Very interesting, isn't it? It is, Dino. What you, what's your feeling on this? Is uh, is this something... I know your, your real passion is about um, the second tier... Um, of uh, Australian football coming in, um, but um, in terms of this independence, um, you know, it's uh, um, is it giving the um, the keys to the uh, the lolly shop to the kids, and uh, and, and uh, are we uh, in for um, some you know some difficult times ahead, or do you yeah, see this look, as the I, next step up? I think so. I mean, uh, we haven't got an awful lot of money in the game over here uh, compared to obviously counterparts over in Europe and and around you know some of the major hotbeds of football around the world but um look 
I guess I understand why they want to be independent. It's the way we go back to 1982 when the Premier League started, um, you know, and that's become an unbelievable juggernaut of a, of a league, and then it seems to continue to grow. So look, if it's done properly and it's managed properly, uh, and egos don't get in the way, hopefully egos don't get in the way. Well, exactly. <laughs> well there's plenty of them. <laughs> The Netherlands will have the chance to become just the fifth winner of the Women's World Cup after advancing to their first ever final. There they will meet the United States in their third successive final, chasing their fourth crown. Both sides rode their luck in their semi-finals against Sweden and England respectively. We'll preview it in greater detail later on, but gents, just quickly, how do we see the final playing out on Monday morning? I think the uh, the Dutch are really going to uh, have to, to um, hold their nerve early. Um, the, the Americans will throw... The kitchen sink at them early. There'll be an amazing atmosphere. Uh, the Americans will, will most likely dominate the crowd and the noise in the crowd because of that amazing travelling contingent. They, they just can't afford to let the Americans uh, to get involved early. But if they can put some pressure on um, and uh, and maintain that uh, the defensive uh, consistency that they've uh, they've shown, then we know uh, we'll let the uh, the um, trial match before the tournament, the, you know, the, what really shocked us uh, was the the way they took the Matildas to the sword. So yeah, of course they, they can attack, aren't they, Dana? Oh, they can, and uh, and obviously Australia, you know, we know we've, we've dissected that through every week, and uh, Holland or you know the Netherlands are a, are a top side. Um, they, they deserve to be in the final. They've been consistent throughout the whole campaign, uh, but I still can't see them turning over America I've, 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 Alex Morgan uh, there's Megan Rapino, um, and also the one that I quite like is the uh, Christina uh, Press yep. um, quite mobile and they all bring something different to the table but if you if you can't shut those three down then they're going to have a hard day in the office but if they do then obviously the Dutch have got a few weapons of themselves as I say consistency they've been superb throughout the tournament so why can't they win it? The Matildas are officially Australia's most loved sporting team following their World Cup campaign. That's according to True North Research, who use an emotional connection survey based on social media and TV viewership. They also took into account the growth of 2023 World Cup bid supporter registrations. Just a couple of statistics from SBS gents. 1.39 million Australians watched the uh, Italian match, which almost doubled the 2015 World Cup. That's amazing considering that World Cup was held in Canada when the matches would play between 8am and midday in Australia. That's far more friendly than the Italian match, which was played at 2 o'clock in the morning. And it's also estimated the SBS coverage has reached 2.8 million Australians. So yeah, the well, women's game is booming here. I hope the, the Matildas really um, embrace this news um, because, uh, you know, unfortunately, since the drama of, uh, of Stagic's sacking, uh, uh, the gloss has gone off uh, the, the the side and, and the women are feeling, that, at least the reports we're hearing, that um, that they've been under siege and that Australia um, isn't as supportive of them as... as they thought we once were. Where hopefully this uh, this report comes out and says no, no, that's not the case. We don't attach the um, the uh, uh, the issue of the sacking to uh, to the team itself, and uh, and they've still got a, a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, luster about them that um, that can you know launch them into yeah. Uh, you know, timing in, timing in life is always important, and I guess that timing wasn't the best. So um, mm. I think the less said, the better, and we try and move on. Melbourne Victory have announced Marco Kerrs as their manager for the next two seasons. 
Kurtz parted ways with Adelaide United after two successful seasons. And going off social media and a few of my Melbourne Victory supporting friends, his appointment's been met with a cautious optimism. Mm. Uh, it's also been announced just yesterday he'll bring Philip Tapalovic with him, a teammate of Kurtz's at Schalke and 1860 Munich. He was also at Adelaide while Kurtz was there, so he'll bring him as an assistant. Dean, I think that's a fantastic appointment. It is. Um, Adelaide, uh, you know, he what he won the FA, FFA, FA Cup. Cup. Um, he he made the semi. an incredible run to the semis. He seemed to have the players behind him. The fans seemed fans to like him. Fans loved him, him. Only yeah. people who didn't like him was the uh, the Adelaide administration. Well, I think that's... And I think there's a... There's a political... Nearly beat Perth and knocked them out over there. Right? I, I think, again, it comes down to politics. They're, they're Dutch-based, so they're looking for a Dutch flavour and he's not Dutch, is he? He's German. So, you know, for me, that's where the, the disconnect goes. You've got a good manager, but because you want to go the Dutch way, um, that's what you end up with. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll find out, wouldn't it? Won't that be uh, an interesting um, match between uh, Victory and, and Adelaide uh, next season? So good things to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, okay. All right, well done, Willem. Um, got some more news for us in the next second hour, but uh, stick around because... Um, Tracy Holmes was a wonderful recent guest on the show. She hosts her own podcast, which is a, a great podcast in its own right, The Ticket. But uh, she's going to be guest for the second time on box to box and we're going to preview the uh, the World Cup final coming up this weekend, next on box to box box to box Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial... Yes, this is box to box on NTS News Talk Sport. And like all World Cups and Euros and all the big tournaments... You sense this sort of loss and this grief towards the end when you've been enjoying so much football and uh, someone who will be, um, well, she's always busy at the best of times, but um, you'll be disappointed that when it's all over, won't you, Tracy Holmes? Yeah, I've already been thinking that. You must have been reading my mind. Yeah. I was thinking, I can't believe that, you know, come Sunday night, Monday morning, a yeah. month of yeah. mayhem will yeah. be finished and can't wait for the next one. Yeah, it's so much fun. And look, we've had our disappointments along the way. Um, obviously, we um, had so much hopes for the Matildas and the past six months, we're not going to sort of trawl back over the history. But uh, the tournament um, in isolation, if we step back and, and not look at it uh, purely through the Australian lens, uh, looks like it's been a, an absolutely incredible success. We talked about it on this show before it as the as the sort of the breakout tournament for, for women's football. Yeah, it's been absolutely phenomenal on so many fronts. And I guess, you know, the we haven't seen the final yet, but a lot of the expectation is that America will win again. And they've just been so dominant, you know, I guess since the World Cup for women really began back in the early 90s. Um, and there have been challenges along the way, like, uh, you know, Germany, for instance. Sweden has always been there roundabout. But what we've seen in the European teams this time around is this absolute... Um, you know, rocket pad launch, if you like, of just reaching a whole new level. And this obviously has come on the back of a lot more investment in the women's game. Um, you know, the women's team's been treated a lot more equally, so the standard is improving. That then attracts more sponsorship, which leads to more investment, and so the story goes. And it's phenomenal now to see that, you know, there are genuine superpowers built all around the globe, and um, that's only set to keep growing. Uh, Tracy, it's Dean here. How are you? I'm good, Dean. How no, are you? Yeah, good, good. I, I, was, I was just saying, um, I was thinking about, I moved to America when I, about 1979, um, so I was 14 then, <laughs> and the women's game in America was massive. 
even then. And I look, you know, because obviously I was brought up in England. And at that time when I left England, it was non-existent. You know, I'd go to America, then obviously come to Australia at 17. But to see the game now, like if you listen to a lot of the talk sports in England, the English game starting to really build based on this run that obviously England got to the semi-finals. And I know it's, you know, I know, I know we've talked about from an Australia point of view, you know, we've, we were hoping to get to a bit more of a pointy end, but I'm just, I think this tournament for me is most probably, as Rob said earlier, is most probably a breakout, breakout tournament for possibly all the countries in the world. Yeah, you're right, you know, and there's other com- um, countries coming along, like the, the Thailands, if you like, that not many people have spoken about before. A lot of teams coming out of Africa uh, that are showing just so much skill and, and, you know, with that higher degree of investment going in, that is only going to get bigger and better. Um, but it's interesting just looking at the England frame as well. I mean, you know, once you got down to these quarterfinals, it was it was pretty much anyone had a chance, didn't they? And And England you know, deserved to go as far as they did and and maybe even further on a different day. Um, And I remember being at the London Olympics back in 2012 and I remember then suddenly the the women's football team got a whole lot of exposure that they hadn't had before. And I think that really kick-started something and and you're seeing the fruits of of that kind of um, growth spurt back in 2012. Uh, and to see where that team is now and, you know, obviously with the, the leagues growing and the depth uh, becoming stronger and stronger in national competitions. I mean, I'm just looking at something on um, the Internet at the moment where Nike has just announced that it sold more U.S. women's national team soccer jerseys in a single season than any other shirt in its history. Unbelievable. That's Unbelievable. No, it is. And I think that if we bring this back to our Australian model, where we are at the moment, what, if you were in charge of women's football, what, what would you do in Australia to change for us to get this game to possibly the levels of where England's come from? Uh, America's been mature for a long time. England's obviously been building, building slowly. But some of these countries like you know the netherlands very very experienced been to finals before what do we need to do here over here in australia look i think you know some of the the stuff that um i've been so lucky to be able to work with (laughs) craig foster and joey peters um and and just listening to you know their sort of long-term view and analysis of this and and just understanding that we don't want to get left behind in this rise that is happening. You know, Australian sport, uh, we've seen it across other things as well. It's not just football, is it? You know, in, back in the heyday when we dominated so many different sports at the Olympics, and then that kind of, you know, it, it decreased as the rest of the world increased. Yeah. And we don't want to be left behind in that. And, and obviously there are other parts of the world now getting stronger. If you look at the women's game particularly, um, there's, what, 207 about FIFA member nations. Only about 120 of them have women's teams. So there's still a lot of countries that don't support women's sport, but they are coming online more and more. So as that market continues to grow and it gets stronger and stronger, we actually have to be investing at least at the equivalent of the top nations just to stay in touch. And uh, I'm not sure that that model, you know, the successful model um, has been determined yet, and it really should be. And I know that the PSA has done a lot of work in this regard when they came out with their blueprint for the women's game, and, and they were so on the money 
they said the growth is actually in the women's game. You know, our chance of winning a World Cup is with the women, our chance of hosting a World Cup is with the women, and, and this is where a lot of the attention um, should be put. And I know that sits uncomfortably with a lot of people, um, but at least you could say, let's, let's split the model 50-50, you know, let's see how that goes. Mm, <laughs> because, um, you know, this is kind of the equation that a lot of other countries are now talking about. Well, this is Box the Box on NTS News Talks. And the last time I looked at the census, half the population was women, so I can't see why that type of model uh, oughtn't to be a fair <laughs> one. To argue. So, um, and particularly given, you know, one of those superpowers that you refer to, obviously, um, as we look ahead to the, the final this weekend, I mean, you, you reel off the, uh, the honours, and they're not everyone's favourite team because sometimes that American brash style uh, rubber people up the wrong way, but you can't argue with uh, uh, three Women's World Cup titles, four Olympic gold medals, including the first ever, eight CONCACAF Gold Cups, ten Agave Cups. Jill Ellis's team is just the all-conquering team. In fact, you know there is an argument that they're one of the greatest sporting teams uh, on the planet right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, if you kept digging, you'd keep finding new records that, <laughs> that they've set and probably no one's even realised yet. Um, they, they are phenomenal. And I think, Dean, it was interesting, something you said earlier, you know, your travels from yeah. from the UK and heading across to America and just seeing it there. And it was interesting, um, Foz was saying last night that, uh, you know, that the American women's game has been able to develop um, in the absence, effectively, of a men's culture of football. So they've been able to develop their their own style and, and they're, they're not, you know, they weren't um, copying or, 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 you know, sitting in second best. They were their own product and they have been that and have dominated for 10 years. But now what you're starting to see with greater investment in Europe, and I think England fits into this as well, is that, you know, the men have had so long to perfect the art and, and everything that goes around it, the development, uh, the research, the infrastructure... And now what we're starting to see is is that top echelon of how you deal with a sport in the most professional sense um, eking its way into the women's game. And the Americans don't have that. So that's going to be interesting. And that might be what pivots, you know, some of these European teams um, up above the American team in the near future. And speaking of those women team, there just does happen to be another team uh, planning to take the honours um, this weekend. Uh, the Oranja famously have uh, have never won a men's uh, World Cup, uh, despite the amazing career of Johan Cruyff and uh, I've not got a sort of real off names. Johan Nieskens, the, there's yeah, a few Marco players Van Bast and Ruud Hullet. Uh, you, you just could go on. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing for the Dutch, though, uh, if, well, they're the other lionesses, they're the Oranja, but they're also known as the Lewinen, which is the lionesses. So two lionesses, just as a trivial <laughs> point for you there. Um, so uh, they've been amazing in this tournament so far. Yeah, they have been. And, and I know that they've also got that kind of, um, you know, they've caught the bug. And <laughs> the, the, the women's game is not something that's uttered under your breath anymore. You know, mm. they've obviously, um, they've had quite a, a history of, of working, but um, they've really invested a lot more. They've jumped on that bandwagon. I think, um, uh, is it Guy de Jong, the, the Dutch FA boss, mm. uh, who, who criticised FIFA this week? And said, you know, when you look at the prize money, so you've got uh, 42 million Australian dollars for the Women's World Cup, 569 million for the for the Men's World Cup, um, and yet 
FIFA stands up proudly and says, aren't we good? We've doubled the prize money. And mm. he said, yeah, well, I don't know how they said that with a straight face um, and, and claim that what they've done is fantastic because, in fact, what they did was they increased the men's prize money more. They've widened the gap, not mm. narrowed it. Um, so it's, it's nice to sort of have that level of support and, and calling out these, um, you know, idiosyncrasies where you go... The message is sold one way, but the reality is something completely different. But if you look at um, the semi-final, um, there were more than five million people that watched that game in the Netherlands, which was almost one in three in the population, Incredible. which smashed all sorts of records. There's about 78% of the, the television market share. So it's great that they've got that level of national support. Now, Trace, we're going to have to put you under pressure now. Uh, it's the decision-making time of the show. Who is going to win this game and how are they going to win it? <laughs> no, uh, well, no, no, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Because I'm really no expert. Um, you'd have to say, you'd have to say that the USA, with all of their experience, um, their fight, their attitude, um, their dominance right across the park, you'd have to say they are favourites. Yeah, I However, agree. I am certainly one of those ones that goes for the fairy tale ending. Yeah, and it would be so fantastic to see another team, to see the Netherlands, mm. um, you know, do something extraordinary and uh, pull off the unexpected, win the World Cup and, and just go home floating high. Yeah, I love it, Trace. Hey, thank you for coming on the show, Tracy. It's a delight to talk to you. Usually you're the person uh, on the other end of the microphone asking the, uh, the probing questions, but uh, we've uh, really enjoyed having you on uh, this tournament and, uh, and hope to talk to you again on other matters uh, in the future. I hope so. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for that. Thanks, Tracy. Encourage everyone to listen to Tracy's fantastic uh, podcast, uh, The Ticket. So uh, check that on the normal uh, podcast uh, uh, profiles, and uh, you'll be in for some uh, some great uh, informative insights into the world of sport. That's Tracy Holmes. We'll stick around. We're going to talk to John Stensholt next. Uh, the Independent A League's been announced. Uh, what does that mean for the football in this country and the financials? Uh, he is the man that knows. Stick around because he is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. Welcome back crucial. to Box the Box. And it's been a little while since we uh, talked to Australia's foremost finance and business journalist on the subject of many, many things, but most importantly in our world, sport, and in this case, football. John Stensholt, welcome back to Box to Box, mate. Thanks, gents. Thanks for having me. Mate, um, before we get on to the, the reason why we got on to you uh, about the uh, independence of the A-League, but have you been enjoying the, the Women's World Cup um, over the last few weeks? Well, in fact, I've had family members that have been over there as well. So, they've, uh, 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 yeah, it's been, it's, the coverage has been very good. I mean, the mm. standard's been very good. It's, I think any World Cup these days is just, uh, you know, captures, tends to capture the imagination uh, Probably dropped off a little bit here in Australia since the Matildas went out, which is understandable. But uh, you know, certainly overseas, I'd be interested to see like the viewing figures, for example, yeah. in the UK and, uh, and that sort of thing. That's been quite an eye opener for me. Some of the really big ratings in the UK, or you know, say, well, they've been able to watch it on free to wear over stuff. there, and the Cricket World exactly. Cups on terrestrial television as well, isn't it? So, the, so um, you know, if if the lionesses had been able to go that one step further, they would have just monstered the Cricket World Cup altogether. Yeah, yeah, I think cricket's got its issues in the UK, from what people tell me, in terms of going behind that paywall. It's a, it's a hard one, isn't it, really? I mean, yeah. football faces a situation here in Australia, you know, the money's there for subscription to, uh, television, but uh, but uh, then it becomes a, uh, you know, a, 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 I guess a coverage point of view, doesn't it? Or reaching as many people as you can, it's hard. 
it's, it's, it's a very hard situation to sort of figure out what to do. But I guess that's what the clubs uh, who have been charged of the A-League now have got, <laughs> got coming up with one of their challenges. Exactly, mate. And so speaking of the uh, very A-League owners, um, they're expected, uh, as I read in your article of earlier in the week, to expected to pour $10 million a year to promote the league and sign marquee players, and they could sell a chunk of the A-League to outside investors. So the independence of the A-League is uh, imminent. Uh, what do you think uh, um, this means to hopefully what will be the growth of, um, of the, the, the competition in, in this country? I think it's probably a case of pacing slowly in a way. Look, you know, there's been so much of a build-up to this day, and then, you know, the day came. It wasn't exactly like a champagne, you know, uh, corks popping moment, was it? it? Sort of there was an announcement. There wasn't even a big press conference or anything like that, or any, you know, people fronting TV cameras to say it happened. There was a there was a, a statement that went out, and uh, you know, that was about that. Was, I mean, it may be a situation where I know half the rich list is on the yacht in. Uh, in the Mediterranean at the moment, maybe some of the A-League owners are too, so maybe they're all away, but you know, they've reached this head of agreement, it's meant to be you know, ratified probably at the end of the month or early August, and, and then away we go. There'll be some sort of a transition, but yeah, look, it's it's not like all of a sudden here are the keys, guys, you know, you're in charge. It'll be a bit more of a transitional aspect than that. They'll be able to look under the hood of the car a bit more, you know, so on and so forth, who's Talk of Greg Griffin, uh, sorry, not Greg Griffin. He'll be Greg around. Uh, Greg O'Rourke staying on as uh, as the boss of the A League. So things like that. Well, you probably you'll probably find a few you know, FFA people going over to the new league in inverted commas. But otherwise, there'll be you know, cuss, uh, there'll be costs that are cut, and um, you know probably a, a few uh, uh, checkbooks might get opened as well. But it's going to take time, I think. Hi, John. It's Dean here. Welcome back to the show again. Thanks, Dean. Um, from your point of view, and what, what what you've obviously read, in, uh, we read in the article, but where, where where do you believe some of the significant change of what we've known since the A League and its in inception? Where do you think now, moving forward, where the greater benefit for the league to survive and grow? I'm just thinking back to the days when the Premier League in in England, you know, became independent. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that independence went hand-in-hand hand with, uh, you know, a big TV deal from memory. Of course, so yeah. that's, it, It's not quite the case here. They're, they're, they're coming in existing uh, TV deals there. So a lot of the, the income and a lot of the revenue is probably fixed for the next few years, really. Look, I think there's no doubt that each club, or probably the majority of the clubs, with maybe the exception of a couple of them, could really do a better job in running their own house. And they don't have any excuses now. They can't. Blame the FFA for what uh, you know, what ills of the game there are. The clubs uh, owe it to themselves, owe it to the fans to actually probably you know loosen the purse strings a little bit and get out and invest in their products. So I'll be I'll be looking for the owners to do that. I mean you've got to you know you've got to speculate to accumulate. You've got to probably spend some more money on marketing and get people through the gates, get a bit more excitement back in the league that way. There'll be some cost savings I think that they will. Use in that regard, maybe maybe a bit, a bit of a bloated front office previous to the FFA, where I think they'll try and cut things back, pair things back, and they'll use that money to promote things and maybe use some of it to get marquee uh, players in and that sort of thing. It's it's probably tougher than what they think and what we think to really, you know, sprinkle some some fairy dust on the league straight away and make it all the whole new whiz bang thing. So. I think it'll probably take time for any change to really look like it's coming through. If you if you were to consider a real risk that you you would be worried about, what would be the one that's you know coming up 
straight in your mind straight away that it may be a concern? I know a lot of the clubs have stadium deals that are obviously expensive and can, sometimes when they've not got a good crowd, they could lose money on that day. Do you think that possibly could be one of the things in the recommendations that what they would look for? Oh, look, I mean, every, it's, it's hard for clubs to, to, to really you know, redo those deals. It's pretty hard to find alternative playing venues. I think the real overarching thing here is what's the plan of the clubs? What you know? What have, you know? The clubs you know really agitated for control for so long. Okay, now you've got the keys. What are you going to do with the car? I, I mean, no one really knows what the big plans are in that way. I mean, uh, I think there'll probably be some clubs that uh, you know, well, that really them talking to their peers now. I mean, there's some clubs that really need to lift their game. And they've got that incentive to do that now because they have an ownership stake in the league. I mean, don't forget, though, they have effectively got control of an asset here that's you know, probably worth 80 to $100 million maybe, if you talk about what a league could be worth. So effectively, no upfront cost. Now, I know that they've invested a hell of a lot of money over the time. You know, they've maybe lost three, three-odd million, $350 million over that time. But they have got an asset there now. They've got incentive to make it bigger, you know, for their own pockets, uh, you know, uh, besides anything else, so they should be investing more in their product. They should be uh, you know, marketing the game a bit better. Maybe looking at things like ticket prices, although that's hard to do. Uh, you know, getting getting you know players in from abroad, uh, so on and so forth. I think you'll probably see a change to the salary cap, uh, and it probably goes you know in a year's time. Things like that, I think, will, will flow through too. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to the Australians, John Stensholt, about the uh, imminent uh, independence of the A-League and uh, a few of the numbers um, that you mentioned in your article that the uh, the FFA, as you say, is going to be a lot leaner, um, that um, there's um, up to $70 million going to be uh, uh, hived out of uh, the A-League and, and into the, the, um, the, the new independent FFA. A lot of, uh, of staff will most likely move. They've got that... Um, that uh, corporate memory and knowledge um, that makes sense to transfer over but uh, it looks like um, one of the uh, the individuals you mentioned um, in your article that um, the chief executive David Gallup may not may be leaving the governing body before his contract ends in November next year which um, I think is just about time well I think if David if I was David and I was on a million dollars a year as he's rumored to be I'd be I'd be sticking that for as long as possible, making sure that they pay out my contract. Mm. So it might be a little time yet, but yeah, I think clearly it's you know that from what uh, from pop, what the whispers are in the background, and and in fact David's lack of um, you know saying anything publicly himself, uh, it probably shows you that it's clear that uh, moves are afoot in that regard. So. Well, he carries uh, some pretty serious mean? baggage over the Alan Stadich issue and the fact that he was the CEO when uh, that whole fiasco uh, um, blew up. So, um, you know, he's uh, he uh, he's not exactly um, in, uh, running uh, on um, excess brownie points, uh, you might say. Well, I think there's him and there's also uh, there'll be board changes too. You'll, I mean, if they still got three independent board roles that they can appoint in the next little while, I think they'll look to do that in the next month or two. You'll have an independent chairman for the uh, the the A League itself. We'll have uh, a couple of board roles there, I think, too, from FFA, and obviously the club representatives too. So, yeah, there'll be certainly plenty of uh, plenty of changes at the administrative level, and you know maybe people uh, looking to step up from other jobs or state league, or sorry, state federations and that sort of thing into the national body, perhaps. Uh, look. Can they do a better job than what's being what's being uh, uh, done before? Well, that's, uh, you know, now's the time to find out, isn't it? That's what I think is going to be so fascinating. You know, this is pretty pretty unique for Australian sport. There's no 
uh, there's no privately run leagues here, other other than Larry Kessler's National Basketball League, really, and in the Australian mm. Baseball League. If you want to count that, that's, that's got all independent owners too. But other than that, the so-called you know big codes, they're, they're all they're all run by and owned by the, the the central governing body. I know football's a unique game in, in the world scheme of things, but I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how the owners, uh, you know, what they can do when they're in charge. They've talked a good game, and now now's the time to watch. Uh, watch and see what they can do. John, you know, there's obviously been lots of talk and promotion from lots of people around the game about expansion of the league and growing it. And obviously uh, it's nine plus one New Zealand team currently, which with obviously then the introduction of uh, Western United and then obviously MacArthur coming in. Do you think, because now that it's independence, will they have a, a thought process of still moving forward to go into 14, 16 teams like I think we all want it to be? Or do you think that might get delayed because obviously they want to look after what they've already got? Oh, there'll always be a case of looking after what they've got. But I think at the same time, if you want a league to grow, you probably do need to get to that 14 teams, don't you? And I think, I think I'm sure the owners are aware of that. But what they've talked about, instead of identifying you know where they might get the money from, identify a market that needs or can you know support a team and then try and uh you know i guess put a team in there somehow whether it's you know uh work up support from local investors or overseas investors so rather than um i guess really putting it out to tender and then we end up with another team in sydney or melbourne again maybe say okay we definitely want a team in brisbane or second team in southeast queensland let's walk to walk towards that so we might even form our own entity to start with try and sell that off down the track rather so put the market first rather than the uh, rather than the other way around and getting a franchise in wherever they can get their money from if that makes sense so there'll be things like that where they try and think from that business strategy not that the FFA didn't I'm sure that if a, if a decent uh, uh, franchise came up from, from, from Queensland they would have looked at that through this last expansion process but there might be other nuances to it as well but you know you've got to you've got to remember these are business people businessmen just about all of them I think that are in charge, and they're going to look at things from you know some pretty financial terms, not necessarily uh, you know for the good of the game, I suppose. Although there is that clause there where if they have some veto in there, given they still have a twenty percent stake. Don't make no mistake though, this is a this is a business venture that we need to remember. It's exactly what it is. Well, hopefully, um, one club in particular, Melbourne City, starts to uh, now that it does have you know the the. Uh, real influence that, it, that it's been looking for for all these years does some good things to uh, to um, to show that um, the strength that um, that they have is um, is not just a, about using Australia as a as a sort of a nursery for for transferring players and uh, and sending um, junior players to to get their first starts and and can use some of that muscle to to really help uh, grow the competition in this country. John, thanks again for coming on the show. Mate, it's a bit of a Gilbertathon for you this week with uh, your appearance this Saturday on my brother Timmy's uh, show The Business of Sport, mate. So um, be kind to the big fella. <laughs> I will, I will. Well, that's a bit more scary, I think, seeing me on television and listening to my to my voice. So, <laughs> good on you, John. John Stensalt uh, here on Box to Box. Okay, we'll stick around because we're going to go through a little bit more of the backstory. Uh, we talked to Tracy Holmes earlier about the final um, and some of the lead up, but uh, I want to talk about a few of the other stories around uh, what were a couple of um, epic semi finals uh, in the lead up to.
that final. That is all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. And uh, for the final time, uh, a look um, at the Women's World Cup. Gentlemen, it's been a great tournament. Um, and th- those two semi-finals were, were super exciting. Uh, watching England crash out as only England can do was—it was like watching a train wreck, really, wasn't it, Dino? With uh, I just felt the moment that um, Ellen White scored that um, what looked to be the equaliser. She just looked offside, um, and, yeah, and even though it was only a, it was a toenail, but um, it was such a well-taken uh, equaliser. And then um, seven minutes from time. Even though that penalty was awarded, and it was a, yeah, I think it was, it was a pen. Oh look, I, I, I don't think that that you can spontaneously dive like that unless you're a South American or a Spaniard. Yeah, no, they they've got it in their DNA to dive. Absolutely, uh, no dive at all. She's just about to yeah, finish. Yeah, she's yeah. she's ahead of the game. She's yeah, just about to yeah. finish and he gets clipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blatant. So I think that's a bit. Just, I, I'd be like, I'd be asking for a straight red. The disappointing Goal thing, though, was opportunity. it was Steph Houghton, just such a lame penalty attempt, wasn't it? it was I don't just... think you can get that now, can you? No, you can't like, get the double she, jersey. Because she was looking to, she, she looked like she was trying to play the ball. How do you the mean? defender, the defender was. Yeah. Um, I think there's a big problem that comes out that, out of that is that it should have been given a penalty in the first place. I also agree that it was, but by the time the VAR takes two, right, three minutes well. to look at that, by the time that Steph Houghton's had those thoughts going through her head, Maybe if the adrenaline's still pumping, she can just step right up and put it away. So it's a penalty awarded with a caveat of the time it takes. Yeah. But I can't have this this business of strikers not wanting to take penalties. And Dina, you're saying, you know, because she's not confident. What's going on there? She's a professional footballer and she's in a World Cup semi-final playing for her country. Mate, um, the coach has got to get into her and say, no, no, you are good enough. Just go ahead and take it. And, and if we lose as the... Um, uh, was it the Dutch? Um, no, the Norwegian coach said ahead of the penalty shootout um, against Australia, uh, if we if we lose, we lose as a team, and and I think he instilled that confidence in that group, yeah. and they uh, they won that penalty shootout hands down against us. Whereas you you saw what happened with the Matildas. What you going to say something, Willem? Yeah, for mine, Ellen White absolutely had to take the responsibility there, and she really left her captain in a little bit of a hole that she had to take it. If you're the player who's out there putting the ball in the net. Time and time again, yeah, you need to take the penalty. And look, and, 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 I, and I, I was on that same train until Edge educated me about Mark Viduka because he's most probably the most coveted striker we've ever had. In fact, for me, he's been one of the best strikers that the National League ever saw, and certainly we did. And he had an unbelievable career of scoring goals, but he didn't take pens. Well, he famously missed one in that shootout in 2005 against Uruguay. Um, which, um, and yeah, that's the I reason why I didn't like taking him. But uh, <laughs> anyway, hey, that's um, that's Mark Viduka Dean. I do not think that is a reasonable comparison because uh, it um, it is one individual in the history of the bloody sport. She should have taken it. It was just sad though that uh, England had got to that point. Nikita Paris had already missed two, and she was the designated penalty taker. The uh, now the the the, the Sweden. No, um, just on that, I, mm, I know a little bit more. There's they they practice the penalties under mm. all sorts of different pressures. Mm. Mm. And it, there was a rotor of who was the number one taker mm. to. Mm. Ellen White wasn't in it. Mm. She was down the pecking order. Yeah, no, but that's not my point. My point is that she should have been in it in the first place. 
well, again, if she, she, if she if she's not doing it week in, week out when they're practising it and she's at the bottom of the tree, why would you give it to her? She well, hasn't scored. Well, she's, Phil, she's, Phil Neville should have. Anyway, look, it's, it, we're just going to argue around in circles. Well, he, so, he did argue. He argued with the same person that was asking the question. He said, it was, we just went to what? Mm, who's mm, the next person? Yeah, and yeah. that's. But, whereas, but my point is that he's the, the manager. He should have told her she's the striker. We expect you to step up. You're being paid. Uh, it's a responsibility of yours as the striker to lead the line, take the penalty, and if you miss, we'll, we'll, stand, we'll, we'll wear it. But you have to take it and uh, and show the confidence uh, in yourself, and then display the confidence in in uh, and that confidence will ripple through the rest of the team. That's just my opinion. Of course. Um, the Swedish uh, team they they nearly caused the big ball over the second big ball after uh, they knocked off Germany, um, but uh, ultimately the uh, I thought some amazing goalkeeping in that uh, in that game wasn't there. They bombarded the Dutch. I thought they were on the balance of play by far the better side and they on another day could have had two or three go in it was the goalkeeper who kept the Dutch in it and then they were lucky enough to pinch one going forward so I think they can count themselves very unlucky so based on that looking at I mean obviously with your Dutch heritage um, you, you might be swinging over to the USA maybe I won't be swinging over to the USA he's a loyal Dutch he, 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 um, <laughs> he can't have the same night Willem van Denderen uh, mate, you wouldn't be a turncoat, would you? No, I'm not a turncoat, but I do think it's... Do you think they're going to be under the cost, though? I do. I don't think it's often that you see a team get battered like they did against Sweden, and then you'd think the same thing would happen against the US. I don't think you often get out from under the cost twice yeah, in a major tournament. I, I think they're going to struggle. I don't think so. I think they get a win. Um, I think that Dutch football is finally uh, going to... Uh, uh, get its just desserts, and uh, and and as I predicted after the in ungracious response to um, their flogging of Thailand, um, the USA are going to win, lose I should say, in a heartbreak, in a penalty shootout or something similar, and um, and the karma bus will um, be running all over them. That's my. Prediction. So I'm going to go slightly different. Uh, my very first World Cup final was the Germany Holland game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I remember. I remember watching it, and uh, after a minute, uh, the Dutch score, mm. but then get beat 2 1, and I think that's how it'll end up. Okay, all right. Um, so, Willem, uh, um, your specific prediction? Uh, the US 2 0. Oh, come on. I'm not <laughs> going to accept that prediction. I'm not going to accept it. He's gone. Come on. You <laughs> can't on. do that. Yeah, he's got oh, two what do you want to say, Rob? The Dutch on penalties? Yes. What did you okay, do? Okay. score? 2-0. Two 2-0. Nil. Two nil. Two nil. Yeah. Right. I'm going I'm to give the Dutch a goal. I'm going to go 2-1. I've backed the Dutch at every at every turn with not a great deal of confidence, and they're yet to let me down, but yeah, I just think it's a bridge too far. Well, you did say in one of the breaks that... Um, there's uh, a few certain things in life, and one of them is that the Dutch lose World yeah, Cup finals. That's according to my, my opa. He's seen three, and yeah, he's, I don't think he's overly convinced either. We'll run through the top goal scorers quickly. Alex Morgan has six. Ellen White is level on six. She cost herself possibly a golden boot, as well as the chance to go into the final. Sam Kerr finished on five. Megan Rapinoe still alive on five, so she's still in with a chance. A hamstring injury. A hamstring, there you go. Christiane from Brazil and Wendy Renard from France are with four apiece. What about your prediction, um, uh, my, Mr. My prediction is a, a, um, a two-all draw at the end of extra time and um, the Dutch to win a penalty shootout, um, nine goals to eight. 
Tell you what, why don't you put a bet on? I'd stick a tenner on that. Not, not that we're promoting betting on the show, but stick that on. And if that, that could be some odds. Okay, so two, two all at the end of uh, of extra time and nine. I might stick a fiver on with you just in case it comes home. Won't it be a great game it's if like it happens? It's like that. <laughs> well, mate, um, you heard, remember where you heard it first? Uh, if it does happen <laughs> that will be a world if that goes down <laughs> all right boys well um that's been a good hour talking to tracy's always good um and uh, john stensholt uh, he just has that analysis he but does he can present the business of sport in an informative and entertaining kind of way doesn't he but look we're going to uh talk uh, about um the uh the new uh, Western Sydney MacArthur team with uh, Rabbi Crane. With Rabbi, um, yep. And uh, that's going to be an interesting chat. It always is. Looking forward to having a yarn about the uh, Copper America and the African Cup of Nations as, as both those tournaments come to a pointy end. And I think Edge, um, I think he's, we'll check with him whether he's, this is his last week in France or whether he's still going to yeah, be. Yeah, that's right. Away. I'm not sure. Yeah, well. Uh, Knowing Edge, he'll be stretching it. Oh, yeah, he'll say, I've got some important yeah, business got, got to some, attend yeah, to afterwards. Yeah. I need to go to Switzerland <laughs> to talk to FIFA. All right, we'll stick around because. That's all coming up next. An extended Copper America, plenty on the African Cup of Nations. Michael Edgley explaining to us how he's going to extend his stripping pants. That is all coming up next on the final World Cup edition of Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animals. Absolutely Back to Box the Box, second edition news and the Socceroism Pararoo Central coming up shortly with Willem van Denderen, Ravi Crayon. We're going to talk about his new role at Western Sydney MacArthur as he leaves the Australian Association of Football Clubs, Dean's organisation. We're talking African Cup of Nations and Copper America, and then stoppage time with Michael in France. Willem, what do you got? Socceroos and Pararoos Central, Rob, for the Green and Gold Army. Support the Oliroos in Thailand as they look to qualify for the 2020 Olympics with the Green and Gold Army. Socceroos captain Mark Milligan has joined English League One side Southend United on a one-year deal. It's believed 34-year-old Milligan will stay with the club once his playing days are over with a coaching role in the academy or the first team on the cards. 20-time Socceroo Ryan McGowan will return home to Australia and take up a multi-year deal with Sydney FC, which comes just weeks after Western Sydney announced the signing of his brother Dylan, so that'll add a bit of spice to the Sydney derby this season. Tom Rogic has been linked to a $16 million move to Zenit St Petersburg. Rogic has four years left on his current deal at Celtic, and it seems that we're always talking about Tom's future. He could be agitating for a deal. Celtic apparently value him at $27 million, so we'll see. Uh, we'll watch this space on that one. And teenager Alexander Robertson has signed a four-year deal with Manchester City, which keeps him at the club until 2023. He's eligible to play for England, Scotland, Peru and Australia. Dino, you know the family. What are the chances of him uh, choosing the Aussies? Um, Look, it's hard to tell because he's been there for quite a while now. So they were Sydney-based when they were there. He's Obviously, his dad played at a a decent level. His granddad did as well. He played in the old National League. uh, Robbo's uh, a really good close friend of Sean Lane, who's uh, coaching out in uh, Bangladesh at the moment, of all places, mm. for applying his trade. Um, so, look, I think from young Robbo, I've seen him in a few games, you know, on some of the videos that they you see through the academy. And he's some player.
player. He, he was the one that was at Man United. Yep. Controversially and, uh, and, and swapped. Contra- yeah, they did. So it's it's an interesting well, one. Well, the way that um, that uh, Peru are going in the uh, Copa America. Just <laughs> <laughs> might. Are we at least ahead of Peru, do Yeah, Exactly. And to the Pararoos, they're set to face Ukraine in their World Cup opener on Sunday in Seville, having recorded a win and a loss in two warm-up matches against Germany. Yeah. So the first match, the Pararoos won 6-2, with a brace each to Ben Atkins and Connor Bunce, who was on debut. Alessandro Levagetta and Brad Scott also found the score sheet. And then the next day, they went down 2-1 to the same opponent. So the World Cup opener is against Ukraine at a very uh, Australian-friendly time of 5pm on Sunday. And to watch that, you can head to SevillaWorldCup2019.com and you can live stream it from there. Okay, well, um, we might have to uh, uh, see if we can get uh, onto the FFA and uh, and have a chat to um, someone from the Pararoos next week, Willem. So that's yep. your task between now okay. and then, my friend. So uh, go the Pararoos. Um, this weekend, uh, and uh, hopefully they, you know, they can get a, a bit of publicity about them. We'll certainly be pumping up their tyres and uh, come home. Who knows? We might still know. win a World Cup. Yet. Exactly right. <laughs> Peru and Brazil will meet in the Copa America final, having secured two nil wins over Chile and Argentina, respectively, in their semis. Peru have not won the Copa since 1975, when they won their second title. Brazil, uh, by contrast, have eight coppers and can maintain a phenomenal record of having never lost a home tournament with a win in the final. They are four from four currently at home, so that'll make it five from and five. after that slow start that they had, how haven't they mowed at home? Well, they're getting booed early doors, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Oh. Might just be back on side. They were playing some fantastic uh, football, and the first goal which Jesus scored was Brazil yeah. at their best. They just strolled through, pass, pass, as if the opposition weren't there. Argentina were not impressed with their copper exit with manager Lionel Scaloni stating that they should have advanced. Uh, Lionel Messi also strongly criticised the refereeing, and when Messi speaks, Argentina listen. The Federation has submitted a six-page complaint to Conmebol. They've claimed Ecuadorian referee Roddy Zambrono had clearly harmed Argentina. I don't think he'll be going to Buenos Aires um, no. for his holidays no. anytime soon, Roddy. No, uh, a bit of sad graves, isn't it? Of course it is. <laughs> Get over it. AC Milan have taken the unusual step of voluntarily withdrawing from next season's Europa League. Milan had been under investigation for financial fair play breaches and had already been fined $20 million in prize money. Their withdrawal now wipes the slate clean with the Court of Arbitration for Sport terminating ongoing monitoring of their finances. Mm, interesting. Mm. I wonder if Manchester City might do that next year to uh, to get off the hook. Mm, very interesting. And obviously Chelsea's uh, got that uh, hanging over Transfer their head, right? You know, well, and obviously yeah. you know, uh, new manager as well. So interesting. Another win, another distasteful goal celebration from the U.S. women's team at the World Cup. Alex Morgan sipped an imaginary cup of tea after she put the U.S. two one up against England in an apparent jab at their tea drinking culture, Dino. Afterwards, Morgan explained Megan Rapinoe had the best celebrations in the side and that she had to produce something better. Well, when is she going to produce something better? Because that was uh, <laughs> Didn't write it, Rob? Uh, no, not at all. In fact, um, I was listening to TalkSport after the match and Steph Horton was being interviewed. Uh, and uh, and as she was in the tunnel, the, the uh, one of the, uh, the American players just screamed behind her. And uh, and uh, Steph and, uh, and the view- interviewing uh, journalist uh, both agreed with each other that it was just out of order. And uh, and then Darren Lewis and... Uh, and um, uh, Andy um, Sports Bar. Our oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, They both agreed that, <laughs> like that it was just uh, like a class. It's just a shame because, uh, you know, they're such an amazing team. They're unable to, to win with class and grace, uh, but they don't think that they're doing anything they're, wrong. They're, look, American 
Americans are show business. It's like the whole world surrounds it. And they sometimes let themselves down. But mm. the arrogance that this particular team's got, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty in your face. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. You, you would think um, <clears throat> as um, a team that's trying to be an example to... Uh, uh, the rest of the sporting world um, to win with class. They could do it much better, Rob. They could. Yeah. They really could. Uh, but they are a good side. And, oh, no doubt. And, and, and we, we know we're good. And in sorting a, a cup of tea, I've seen worse. So mm. it's not. Uh, I'm not going to be over. Not, not be going to sleep tonight thinking, oh, they've been knocking our cups of tea. We do a decent <laughs> tea in England. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a really sad one to touch on quickly, boys. Or not quickly. Um, young boys and Swiss international. Floriana Ismail has tragically passed away after jumping off a boat while on holidays in Italy. Ismail failed to resurface and her body was covered three days after her disappearance. She was just 24 but had already made 33 appearances for the Swiss national team since her debut in 2011. So it sounds like a, a misadventure, just um, some she hijinks. She having drinks, you think? I won't speculate, but no. yeah, just a real shame. Obviously yeah, on holidays, enjoying herself. So. Yeah, oh, well, um, R.I.P., uh, to um, the young lady Floriana um, Ismail yeah, yeah I saw I saw that I saw that highlighted mm, very sad Tottenham have ended their signing drought with a storm smashing their transfer record signing Tangoy Ndombele from Lyon in a deal worth $113 million their previous most expensive had been Davinson Sanchez for $76 million Spurs have also signed 18 year old Jack Clark from Leeds and they've sent him on a four year deal They've sent him straight back on a season-long loan. Have we seen much of Tangoy, gents? Yeah, look, very good player. Uh, there is little rumour that he, they've agreed the terms for the transfer fee. And don't quote me on this, I might be wrong. But uh, not maybe on his wages, and Man United might try to hijack it. But Interesting. Hold okay. that thought. But yeah. I, I think the deal's done. I think, why would you go to United when you've got Tottenham Champions League? The whole lot. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right, boys, before we uh, wrap it up right now at Chemist Warehouse, Live, look and feel well with massive savings on all the big brands in their July House of Wellness catalogue like Mercinophon 12 tablets just $3.99 there's Benadryl chesty fort 200ml only $9.99 and a rhino court hay fever 120 doses just $14.99 so for the biggest brands at the lowest prices you've got to just get on down to your local chemist warehouse the greatest savings are there every single day of the week great people the best place to go. Thank you, Nige. Why pay more? Exactly. All right, boys. We'll stick around because after the break, we're going to talk to Rabbi Crane, uh, Copper America, African Cup of Nations, and Michael Edgley to wrap it all up. Uh, that is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, the Australian Association of Football Clubs has been a, a wonderful organisation since it began, and its chairman, Robbie Cram, has led it uh, in uh, sterling fashion. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, heard he was no longer going to be heading up that organisation, Dino, didn't we? Because he's we going to <clears throat> be taking over uh, the new Western Sydney MacArthur Football Club in the A-League coming up in the season after next. Welcome to the show, Rabbi. Gentlemen. So um, to a lot of people, that was a shock. Can you tell us how that came about? Because uh, your role at the AAFC uh, has been a critical one in the, uh, in the developing uh, and growth of um, the second tier of, uh, of football in this country. So uh, how did it all come about? 
Well, look, I mean, my involvement with the MacArthur bid had been going on for over 12 months, been helping them behind the scenes in relation to their A-League bid and obviously the success of it. Um, and then I was asked whether I'd be um, happy to take over as chairman of the club, which, you know, after much discussions and deliberations, um, you know, those opportunities don't come around too often. I thought I could make, well, I know I can make a significant contribution. And... Um, in particular, in establishing a new A-League club. So, you know, it was a hard decision, but ultimately I thought that I could add great value as well as I think I could be a great advocate to what the AAFC uh, stood for and stands for, in particular with the other A-League clubs. So um, as you leave, what, what are the, some of the key uh, issues from the AAFC before we, we move on to the new club and, uh, and start uh, finding a little bit more about that? Well, I think the key for the WAC, I mean, if you look for two years, um, the WAC has been to fight for a voice within the FFA. And, you know, obviously getting that recognition last year and getting on our way to have a voice in Congress. Uh, obviously, I think what has been the biggest attribute is obviously the second division, um, which, you know, when we released our white paper in October 2017, uh, you know, everyone said there's no way in the world we'll get anybody on board or FFA will endorse it. And, you know, there was a lot of hard yards. Uh, a lot of cynicism amongst people, but obviously we kept the momentum and a number of us, you know, from WC maintained that focus that the game needed a second division. You know, and where we are today in that the FFA board has recognised that there needs to be a second division and now it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it is going to happen. It's now working through a small subcommittee that will look at the finer details and come out with a final model by... Uh, November, and you know, I, I think that is a great achievement because without the double A, there's no way uh, a second division would even get to this level. I mean, that's, that's a bit, uh, I think the other big one for the double A is being civically working behind the scenes with the you know, being a key driver is the removal of the NCIP, uh, you know, the National Club Identity Policy, which you know was developed um, in a way that was impacted a lot of clubs, and we're happy to say that you know we have fought that battle. Um, and I think the announcement that it was being scrapped. And then, obviously, we've had a big hand in a new policy, which hopefully will be released um, either later this week or early next week, which we've had a big hand. Um, and then the other one is obviously the, the review of the NPL. I think there's no doubt with the, with the structural change, one of our biggest things that we've produced was a five-year report on the NPL and the inconsistencies of it and the impact we're having on the cost of the game. So we're pleased that we're driving that. We continue, WAC continue to drive that because it's not just about the second division. It's, it's how do you make the game more affordable uh, for kids at all level uh, to get that better education to be part of a future pathway to give those kids aspirations to play at the higher level. And that's both for boys and girls. Robbie, just before we move on to the MacArthur, just uh, from from an AAFC point of view, obviously I've worked with you along that journey and it's been great and fabulous working with you. But out of all of those highlights, if you had to look at the time that you've had in those two years, the most significant decision you thought that you made was for for the good of the game moving forward, irrespective of it being MPL, the the second division, and even including the A League. What would you say from the two years you were there? One of the significant milestones that you thought this is really really important, and this could make a massive difference. I think you know. I think the importance of getting recognised uh, by FIFA and AFC that the AAFC was a spokesbody for the NPL clubs. I think people should never underestimate how tough that decision, as you recall, <coughs> um, 
no one wanted us. Um, the FFA didn't want us, the Member Federation didn't want us, the A-League Club didn't want us, and it was due our relationship with FIFA and the AFC that got us the party. And I, and I think what we have done now is given the clubs who lost that voice uh, a voice back into the game. And I, and I think it, you know, that, that, to me, has probably been the most significant change. And, you know, and I think from AFC's perspective, uh, held its head eye because we've given the club the voice, which they lost many years ago. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to soon-to-be former AAFC chairman and the new chairman of the Southwest Sydney, the MacArthur Southwest Sydney Football Club, Robbie Crane. Yeah, um, based on that, again, congratulations on that role. Um, where do you start? <laughs> where do you start, Ravi? Um, look, I think, you know, the, uh, it's a... The whole thing about the MacArthur FC, um, it is a football heartland. Yeah. And I think when you look at the way the club, the bid was put together, <coughs> it had the support of the football community. And I think that's the integral part, that the the two big uh, associations, MacArthur uh, Football Association and Southern District Football Association, were right behind the bid. And when you've got the support of the local football community, it's a long way to go. They, they've embraced it. They want it and they want it to succeed. So... You know, and I think that's the key. I think, you know, for, from, a, from my perspective as chairman, um, we, have to embrace, we have to embrace the football community and the football community will be built part of the club, and they will be. And I think we've got some important announcements in the, in the coming weeks which will show that we're truly a club about, about the football community, and uh, we're going to take them through the journey. And so your coach, Ante Milicic, is... Um, committed to the Matildas until the end of the Tokyo Olympics next year. Uh, look, he's a big-name signing, and uh, and we all know Ante's uh, capacity, but uh, how, how are you going to manage the uh, the preparation of uh, of the team? I mean, it's easy enough for him to, to do the, the behind-the-scenes work uh, in creating the list, but uh, in terms of preparing the, the team for that opening game, uh, um, how, how do you manage to work around the logistics of all that? Well, I think that part of the arrangement is that, um, you know, we knew he was having the Matilda job and as an arrangement between ourselves and the FFA where uh, there'll be times where he has to focus on the Matildas and the other times that he'll focus working with uh, the MacArthur Football Club. Um, and, I, and I think we're very much capable of doing that. So, and there'll be a good team behind him. I mean, he starts officially with us in, in September and um, where he'll start the process of putting together what the structure that he's looking for. We're, I mean, the good thing, we've got a lot of football on our, on, within our club who've got football experience, and so we'll provide the right infrastructure for him, but I don't think it's going to be a hindrance. Um, I think it's more of an asset <coughs> having someone like Anto, um, who's also based in Europe at the moment, um, to start putting together the foundations of what, you know, what he needs to do for what he's going to require, not only from his playing roster, but his coaching infrastructure as well. With that as well, you know, with the uh, coaching, it's obviously vital. What, what's the situation with regards to the, the way the licence is set up with regards to your junior programmes as, as time will go on, Rabbi? Well, yeah, look, I mean, it's very important that we, we obviously have a close association with both, uh, with our NPL clubs in the region. Uh, you know, and for us, is about not duplicating what already exists in the area. So we're having discussions with the, uh, with the NPL clubs in the area and the two associations of what what do we need to make sure that we give the kid the best opportunity. So those discussions discussions have started and you know we're all 
the, the thing about Dean, I think when you talk to people and you take them through the journey and they know that you're working in the best interest of the game, they, they, they actually feel part of the process. And I, and I think that's what we're doing. And obviously, over the next six to eight months, we'll have a strategy in place with the football community about what is best for the development of the game in that area, including what sort of structure for our academy. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Mille Jedinak, um potentially becoming the uh, the first uh, major signing and his departure. Um, you know, there's a glass of water there, Rabbi, mate. Um, sounds oh. like there's a real frog in your throat there, brother. But, uh, um, but yeah, what, what, what do we know about Mille and, um, and uh, the likelihood of, uh, of him becoming, uh, you know, the sort of marquee signing to, to, to get uh, the club off? Um, oh. the Look, there's no doubt, uh, you know, he's been spoken about. But I, I think it's very early in the stages at the moment. I think most importantly, Antonio needs to work out what sort of players he needs, what sort of what does he need, what sort of roster does he need, and then I think those decisions will happen. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get we'll get mentioned every name player that you can think of between now and the start of when we start building our roster. But you know, at the end of the day, I've got no doubt that uh, Antonio will have his plans, his ideas, he share that with the board, and then he can go about building his roster both on and off the field. Well, that was a fairly straight bat, um, Rabbi. Uh, so we'll allow you that grace, mate, given that you're uh, uh, nearly a couple of years away from the team running out on the park and um, yeah, you're not going to be making any headlines on this show this evening, mate, by announcing... Oh, look, I think the key is that we are going to be... It's really interesting. I think we've, uh, you know, when it comes to players, I think the key, the key part about it is that, you know, it's up to the coach to decide what he's looking for. And look, I've got no doubt he has a strategy he's working on that. And... and when we're in a position, I've got no doubt we'll start releasing that. But I think there's going to be so much speculation. Um, what normally happens when a new club enters, whether we're going to sign this player or that player, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more headlines in the coming months. But from our club's perspective, is that we're not in that position yet. And um, you know, when, when we are, we'll make the announcement as, as according to, uh, when we do. Well, I've heard Gigi Buffon's between clubs, mate, so um, give him a phone call. I'm sure he'll have a, have a listen. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. Rabbi, thank you for coming on the show, mate. We wish you all the best. Um, you know, I was born and bred in the western suburbs of Sydney, and I certainly know that the uh, you know that MacArthur district around Campbelltown is, is just crying out for, for more sport and uh, um, a, a club that can truly represent them. I know, of course, uh, the West Tigers in the NRL partly represent the area, but a, a club in one of the, the major codes in Australia to, to truly represent the area is is well and truly overdue and uh, uh, we'll sure you'll lead it to um, to uh, hopefully great success, mate. Look, I'm, I'm sure it will be and I think one thing that very much from the club's perspective is that uh, we intend to work with the football community because without a football community, we can't achieve our success. And yeah. we, as, long as, we don't, as long as we don't forget that, uh, the club will be successful for a very long time. Exactly. Good on you, Rabbi. Talk to you next time, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rabbi. Rabbi Crime. OK, well, we're going to... Uh, we're going to lead into uh, some international football, Copa America and the African Cup of Nations in the absence of European football. So, it is, yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting yeah. uh, time of the competition as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Box to Box on NTS News, Talk Sport. And as we wait for... Final weeks to start ticking down towards the start of the new European season. We'll talk about a little bit of uh, news over there because there's certainly some big breaking news. Uh, well, not breaking, um, you know, it's about a day old, but uh, Frank Lampard has been officially announced as uh, the manager at Chelsea. Uh, we're going to get stuck right into the Copper America, of course, and the African Cup of Nations. But uh, uh, Dino, um, 
is this the launch of a great new managerial career with Frank Lampard? Is it too early? Are you disappointed that he's left Derby County? What's your feeling on all this, mate? Well, I think you are like, you are disappointed um, because obviously I'm a Derby fan. So, but I, I understand it, and especially with the uh, the restrictions that Chelsea are going to have uh, coming up for this, for this season and for the next two um, transfer windows, they're going to have to rely on uh, not bringing anybody in. Mm. Um, so basically. That puts limitations on them. Now we know Tottenham have survived it, mm. and if you look at it, they've only really lost Eden Hazard. Now that's a massive only. loss only, but that's the only person that's gone. Now you can also Hudson Odoi, obviously. Well, that's what I was going to say. Injured. He's an emerging star. And um, who was the other one? Um, it's come to mind. It'll come back to me. He got injured as well, and, and, and another ACL, so he's out as well. Um, Loftus Cheek. Ruben Loftus Cheek. Yep. So, so they've got those two injuries plus the loss of Eden Hazard. Outside of that, they've got a lot of players on loan all over the country, including Derby. Mm. So Mason Mount, for instance, is playing at Derby. He's a Chelsea player. So mm. I, I've, I know Frank's going to they're going to offer him a new contract. So he might be playing in the first team. Um, but all the rest of the players are there, and they still finished pretty strongly. You know, in the in the in the league this year. Um, so for me, it's not doom and gloom. But for me, this is like not a re rebuild or anything. But it's like a reset. Um, Jody Morris is really good. He's coached most of these lads since they were young. So there's, he's got a great database of all these lads of where they're at. Mm. And I, and it I, really is managerial um, uh, managers these days. It's 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 got to be that team environment because we saw what happened when uh, the, I think the biggest mistake when David Moyes took over from Sir Alex Ferguson was that he dismantled the back office. Yeah. Um, and he, he didn't carry over that um, that intellectual property, that memory of the of the club, and uh, and once it was gone, it was gone. So if uh, if you do bring that um, that knowledge and the, the confidence, because we all need to have somebody around us, uh, whether we run a business or a workplace, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. To have someone to, to support and help you. Don't oh, without you? doubt. You could argue that Manchester United are still paying for that now. But just on mm. Frank Lampard, whether he's good enough or not, or whether it's too soon, I think it's a bit irrelevant for the minute. That's one of the fantastic sort of romantic mm. narratives, which is one of the reasons why we love sport. It will just be interesting to see if it does go a little bit pear-shaped, if he's afforded any more sort of tickets in the bank than plenty of the other Chelsea managers. Well, you'd think he will be. You'd think he will be. Because of the restriction, not so much the results, more the restriction. Mm. His hands are tied there. The other thing is Mel Morris, the Derby chairman, came out with a glittering um, backing of the decision. Sad to lose him. Uh, He's obviously gone quickly gone to... He handled it very well. He did, and he was excellent on it. And and what he said was, his man management is very, very good. So if you're worried about that and not just the coaching... Um, for me, and the other thing is Derby just in the reverse because it'd be unfair to say, well, mm. we've just lost him, uh, Philip Koku. Um, so he'll come in, and I think that's a, he's a really experienced coach. He's in mm. the World Cup final on the bench, so yeah. in, as, as an assistant, so he's got a lot of experience, and he's also won three a River de, 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 de PSV legend, yeah, three. 
So, mm. so he's he's got some good stock. So they've replaced anyway mm. the copper. Well, before we go on to the copper and, and okay, Defcon, yep. the uh, who replaces Rafa Benitez? Uh, they, they were talking, uh, uh, and no, a lot of talking. pundits talking about Phil Neville being in the frame. There, yeah, uh, look, Phil, Phil's done himself no harm at all in mm. how he's prepared that team, and mm. you know, I think from the from the outside looking in. Mm. It looks like he's really caring about his players, mm, but he's mm. pretty firm with them as well. You can mm. see him scream and shout, but then he's giving him a hug. and mm, So mm. there's some compassion there. But, yeah, look, I don't know. I don't know. Who do you think will get the job? Who do I think? Oh, there's some talk of Sean Dyche. Um, you know, would he leave Burnley to take on a big job? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's Mike Ashley in charge. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. With where do they go? Exactly. All right, boys. Well, we're going to get stuck into that like, Copper and uh, AFCON uh, discussion shortly. But... Uh, when your family's growing, you accumulate a lot of stuff, boys. And where do you go? You go to Storage King, don't you? You do. Because it clutters the house, stuff on the floor, stuff at the garage, you can't park the car. You just can't bring yourself to get rid of everything, though. You've just got to call Storage King because they have the answer. They're the best people in the business. They've got the best head office and when you've got a guest head office you run a good business because right through to the people in the stores you'll have all the space you need back at home for your growing family and all the things that created those great family memories with safe and secure locked security secure to the very very high standards call 1-800-STORAGE or go to storageking.com.au and let Storage King give you back some space because at Storage King they are the kings of storage moving and more all sizes are catered for from one square metre upwards. There's no excuse not to go to Storage King. Well, Dino, yep. as the Storage King classic jingle fades away. What are we going to start off with? Well, I think we should start off with the Euro 21 Championship because it, it was seems a long time ago. So as I've done this big lead into the African Cup yeah, of Nations we and La Liga, we're going to talk about well, the Euro. But we've covered it, and I think it needs to be justice. Um... Semi-finals ended up because we we couldn't cover that last week. The games hadn't been played, but Germany beat uh, Romania 4-2 and Spain beat France 4-0, which then pitted them on the Sunday, the 30th of June, for the final. And Spain are the Euro, uh, European uh, Under-21 Championship per team and uh, a well-deserved win by the Spanish. Mm, so uh, still still produ- <laughs> producing really good footballers. So Copa America, it's. It, became from our point of view down to the pointy end the quarterfinals uh, Brazil and Paraguay nil nil but Brazil won 4-3 on uh, penalties uh, Venezuela and Argentina Martinez and La Celso 74th minute winner so that's uh, that got them into the semi then Colombia and Chile and Uruguay and Peru Really exciting nil-nil draws, and then uh, Chile won five-four. But, uh, but how about this? But, but Peru's performance, as I read off the BBC Sport website, came one match after they were thumped five-nil by Brazil in their final group game at Goreca 61. Added Ricardo Greca, the uh, the Peru coach. We managed to overcome the huge adversity with it was this defeat, and that was hastily judged and provoked a wave of harsh criticism and. Chile squandered a number of chances, including a late penalty with Eduardo Vargas's attempted panenka, uh, saved by the informed Peru goalkeeper Pedro Galese. So that got us to the semis, and then uh, Brazil, Argentina, and you saw a, a particular fabulous goal there, Willem. Certainly did. The first goal was a real team effort for Gabriel Jesus to tap one in. It was Brazil at their best, knocking the ball around. I could see two or three moves ahead. 
and yeah, it was a brilliant team effort. And then in contrast, their second one was a relentless Hezul solo effort. He knocked the ball on, beat two or three defenders, ran the length of the pitch, and then set up Firmino. I thought those two goals, by comparison, were just absolutely fantastic. Even like, it's interesting, again, these two players playing in the Premier League as well, yep. banging in goals, both for respective clubs. So uh, Firmino cops a little bit of stick when he pulls on the uh, the yellow shirt. I don't yeah. think they're the biggest fans of him. No, so, but, but nice scoring that to get them in the that. final, yep. yep. And then uh, this was a bit of a surprise, because I think Chile were getting in favourites against Peru, mm. but they absolutely got... Uh, torn apart Flores uh, Yotam in the 28th and then uh, Guerrero on the 91st minute it would have been the first time since Argentina um, won uh Three in a row in 1945, six and seven that it had been done. So uh, unbelievable. Uh, chasing history, the Chileans. So it's a it's a Brazil Peru final, which um, I think is going to be quite interesting. And obviously the Argentina at the, Cop- at the Maracanã and the, yeah the Maracanã and the Argentina Chile third place. I mean, you know, like these third place games. I don't know why they play them. Hmm. Well, they 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 like they give out a bronze medal and. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just all about most TV most bronze medals are generally in a shoebox at the end of the career. Yeah, but if I was a sports person and I uh, went to the Olympics, no, but that's not. And the I had and I had the choice of finishing fourth or third and getting oh, a certificate for fourth or a bronze medal. I would take the bronze medal. Yeah, but in football, it's it's definitely in the shoebox. Trust me. For a team, I've like, got them. For a team, <laughs> I've got some bronzes in there. Argentina <laughs> and Chile, if they got their third their bronze medal, they would have both been aiming for gold. Of course, so they probably. Would. A bit dirty on it, but if you had a have a team who's made a run from a long way back, I think South Korea in the '98 World Cup, or if yeah, the Socceroos yeah. finished third in next year's copper, you'd mm. take that bronze as you if would. it was a gold. So it's all down to I love Peru, especially after that five mm. nil hammer mm. in great, great comeback. Yeah, and credit to Japan by the way because um, they they finished third in their group ahead of Ecuador. Uh, so, uh, so you know, a, a creditable result from them behind Uruguay and Chile. Things and, weren't looking good for them after the first result either. So they did they did well to turn that around and get a couple of draws. So we're now also at the uh, African Nations, and that's been really interesting. And we're down to the the last uh, sixteen. So it's Morocco and Benin, and it's Uganda and Senegal. Uh, it's an interesting how they all pan across mm. from there. But there's like D ones, which is finishing first at F3. So I don't know how the formula works, but anyway. Uh, on the Saturday, it's uh, Nigeria against Cameroon and Egypt against South Africa. Then on Sunday, it's Madagascar and uh, and Congo, uh, well, the Dominican Republic of Congo, mm-hmm. which is the full length, uh, quite a mouthful of that. Mm-hmm. And we've got Algeria and Guinea. And then finally, on Monday the 8th, we've got Mali and Ivory Coast with Ghana and Tunisia. That rounds out the round of 16. So some really interesting, uh, some interesting games in there. So what, what, what are your highlights of, of the African Cup of Nations? Because it's always a hard-fought tournament, really uh, rugged. You, you, you know, we, we see some of the uh, you know the best players in the world from some of the top leagues around the world uh, uh, heading back home to um, to represent their nations. Uh, one day, one of these African nations is going to make an, you know a run at the World Cup, and and they're going to win it. So, uh, you know, are we close, sooner to that? Well, we are obviously sooner to that date than, uh, think, than we're not. But, um, yeah. I think, to be honest with you, Rob, I think we're going a little bit the other way and we might be a while away from seeing an African team uh, win a World Cup just because of the professionalism around... You can even see in the last few but on my editions theory, of the World Cup... has been played for 100 years yeah, and that we're yeah. closer to it than not. That yeah. means that, well, on your theory, we'll be 100 <laughs> years away. Um, 
Well, I think a highlight would be seeing Madagascar finish top of Group B with seven points yeah. ahead of Nigeria. Another highlight would have been seeing Elvis Cam Soba from Victory playing mm. for Burundi. Mm. Just in the final 16 teams that Dino read out there, there was a nice mix of your sort of African powerhouses who make mm. the World mm. Cup and smaller nations who we don't see as often. Um, look at Mali, Tunisia, or Tunisia made the World Cup, but Mali, Uganda finishing in the final 16. So there's opportunities mm. there and it's good to see. Yeah, and it gives hope because some of these countries have been uh, uh, pillaged by um, dictators over the journey yep. and um, and uh, um, and to see um, these countries, you know, which, are, you know, n- not all of them, some of them are doing well economically, but others impoverished uh, to have hope and joy is a, is a wonderful thing. So, Dino, you um, in our final couple of minutes here have a couple of little bits of gossip up your sleeve. Yeah, a little one. Um, I mean, there's quite, there's quite a bit in here, but, but uh, Leicester are closing in on a 40 million club record signing Belgian midfielder Yuri Telemans. They've had him on loan uh, mm. from Monaco, uh, but now going to splash the cash. And they're also looking at uh, uh, Perez. Uh, yeah, I think from, that deal's been done. Uh, gone they, through. They, they, they've locked that in now. Okay, good. Because that was that 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 was that was very, getting very close. But I tell you what, what's interesting is the amount of money they've spent in that little uh, two transactions. Hmm. I think Aosi Perez will pay him back in spades. He'll oh, tee up nicely too. with Jamie Vardy. He's a fantastic player. He made a great difference when he got there for me. Yeah. Yeah, he made a big difference for, for them. Um, my, my biggest worry is Wilfred Zaha. Now, he's talking about going to Arsenal. Um, no Champions League. But don't don't we all think Arsenal need to secure their back four? Mm. Isn't that mm. being... They've got two goal scorers, Lacazette up front with, um, what's his name again? Uh, uh, Aubameyang. Yeah, Apparently Aubameyang. he's on his way yeah, to Manchester United. Ooh. Yeah, I'm not sure about Zahada Arsenal. Yeah. He's sort of one of those flaky players who waxes and wanes. Yeah. I think they've got enough of them, Rob. All right, boys, for the world's longest segment, we uh, didn't give ourselves much time. We to didn't exactly up. right. Well, well, well done, boys, because you know, if, we, if we keep on going, we'll have no time to talk to Edge, and then there would be a revolution. Uh, so uh, <laughs> stick around, because uh, stoppage time is coming next, live from France. Box to box. Can you the Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. This is stoppage time. The fourth official tells us there's about eight minutes left. And Michael Edgley, is this is this your last uh, Box to Box from France before you're forced to come back home to um, oh. the colonies? Oh, I think you'll have one more with me, Rob. Uh, I, I need to stick around a few days after the tour. And He needs to stick um, around in France for a few days after the tour. My project team in Paris, so yeah. uh, you might get one more with me uh, while I'm in in France. Um, yeah, but uh, it's been a remarkable week, really, with um, an incredible semi-final. I know you've spoken to Tracy Holmes about the upcoming final. I, I, know, I don't know how much time you've um, uh, reflected on the two semi-finals but they were very different um mm, we did we talked about uh, the them at the, at, the semi-final in terms yeah. of an atmosphere at a, football, at a football game it was as good as i've ever seen michael it's willem we know you've been to a number of non-matildas matches across the world cup of those which has been your favorite oh definitely the usa england game it was explosive the atmosphere um uh, 40 i think it was 53,000 people in the stadium uh, for the match and i, I Estimate about 20,000 Americans were, were there, um, really setting the scene. Probably about uh, seven or 8,000 English. Uh, interesting that the Americans have a lot further to come, but they outnumbered the English fans by about three to one, which sort of 
says something about the status of women's football in those two countries, I think. Um, yeah, look, um, America, are just, just a phenomenal uh, machine um, that they've got going. Um, you, you do really fully appreciate when you see them live at an event like that with the sort of support they had, um, just how powerful women's football is in America and, and why they're the benchmark. Um, they're not only powerful and technically capable on the field, they you know they show a fair bit of power off it as well. And uh, they are deservingly uh, going to enter the final against the Netherlands, um, well and truly the, the favourites having disposed of the host nation in England in fairly um, comfortable format, although it did get a bit tricky for them against England late in the game. Um, they, they did uh, look the better team for most of the night. Edge, as you know, I've lived in America, late 70s, early 80s, and obviously moving from England to America, and it was very evident for me coming out of a a men's programme or a boys' programme that it was very, very mature in England. But when we went to America, the women's game was really big even then. So they've had a massive head start. So I think the fact England have bridge the gap to a degree I don't think they've bridged it close enough but I thought it was a good performance uh, from England um, they had their chances you miss a penalty and all of a sudden that game could change but I think overall if I watched the game I got up and uh, I thought America were very very good uh, but I thought England at times caused them some problems and uh, just interesting with that penalty selection yeah, I know. Well, I imagine that's been. I haven't. Uh, I did have a look at uh, the English press a little bit, but uh, I imagine it's been the topic of conversation. The the penalty taker, and then there's and then. Just oh, the edge on Talksport afterwards, mate. They absolutely slaughtered them. They, yeah, uh, which is did. unfortunate for them because it's it's, it's sad that England um, should be remembered at their World Cup campaign for that because they have really um, dominated uh, their games mostly. And I, I know if Australia had got through to the quarterfinals, we would have had enormous trouble with them. Um, they'd had a very good structure. They defended well. They, they had a, good, a really good striker. She scored um, six goals in the tournament. But, what, but uh, why White. didn't Ellen White take the goal? She I mean, uh, Phil Neville said she doesn't she want doesn't to take like the penalties. Uh, so. I know, it's funny, but you How know, you Edge, Edge sent me a message, believe it or not, and said Mark Viduka didn't take him. And mm. you know what? His career was like... So I, I must admit, it got me thinking then. Uh, if you're not confident, there's no point taking it, but you know, you love it when you strike, you know, like... And I think this is what they well, alerted to, Edge. Of course, they would have had it sorted out, wouldn't they? Of course, Well, yeah. well and surely thought through all of that, but... It didn't yeah, but they'd already missed... Uh, Paris had missed two earlier as well. Reflect so. on America for a sec, Rob, um, before we sort of go more. I just wanted to make the point, of the 20,000 Americans uh, in the crowd, I, I think I'm not exaggerating here. I, I think at least 70% of them would have been uh, women. Uh, lots of mothers and, uh, and their daughters. Uh, you can see that uh, a lot of you know, uh, 12 to sort of 16, 17-year-old daughters. It's obviously school holiday time in yeah. America at the moment. It's their, their, their big, long summer vacation break. So just enormous groups of women and, and girls that obviously play football together. It creates a very unique and different atmosphere to what I've experienced at other uh, football events around the world. It is very uplifting. It's very significant. And um, I think uh, big lessons for, for the game in Australia because... Um, you know, the, the fairer sex, Rob, does have a... Um, they are a market to be 
not to be ignored and they're a market to be embraced. And well, we've I seen it here, haven't we, Edge, with the Matildas getting you yeah. know, huge crowds uh, with a real family uh, environment. And that's what I like about it. You know what I like about women's football, you know, above the fact that it's uh, improving so much, is you don't see much diving. Um, and, uh, and, and that too. Oh, hold on, Americans weren't too bad at that. I'll yeah. give you the tip. Not as much. Oh, I'll well, tell you what, they've, they've, they've absolutely nice mastered it. Netherlands and Sweden, there was a bit of diving. Oh, oh well, I, I just, well, I, I must be watching different games because I didn't think I saw uh, <laughs> anywhere near as much diving as the Men's World Cup where it's fair to an Olympic sport. Well, it is, yeah, especially with the South Americans. Uh, and we saw a bit of diving with the South Americans in the women's game too. But, mm. but overall, I know I've probably only got a few minutes to go. Um, uh, America will uh, win the World Cup. They'll uh, win their fourth World Cup out of five attempts. We, we obviously remember Japan pinched one off them uh, a couple of editions ago. But uh, they are a superpower of women's football and um, I've got to say that, you know, when we hit the quarterfinals, we had America and seven European teams. We also have to say that America's beaten any, everyone and anyone on their way to, the, to winning this World Cup. They're going to lose this Nation, weekend. And they've beaten England. The Dutch are going to win in a penalty uh, shootout. They'll beat Netherlands pretty comfortably. I'm, I'm predicting it'll be, uh, after 30 minutes, it'll be America <laughs> 3, Edge, just a quick one because obviously we're, we're flying with time but who's the best player at the tournament in your eyes so far possibly the best three just well, bang 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 well the most uh, most impactful player um, on and off the field was Marta um, she she was just sensational I don't know whether you saw her post interview yep. after they were eliminated she was the one that um, everybody has just held up in the highest of esteem. But, um, look, you, you can't go past uh, Alex Morgan from yeah. the United States. She leads the line. She she's does. tall, athletic, powerful. Technically, she's probably the best player uh, in the competition. And, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, she's just an awesome, uh, awesome exponent of the game and a, and a terrific role model for her nation. And uh, I think she's the one that uh, stood out for me. Oh, brilliant. All right, Edge, we'll, we'll let you go, mate. We'll talk to you again from France next week. So um, so the Dutch to win for you. Uh, Willem, um, your uh, pick. US. US, US <laughs> yeah. yeah, my confidence okay. might have been eroded. All right, well, I'm the only one. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm the upset king That's a king Dutchman here. as well, going, uh, going belly up early. All right, Edge, well, we'll let you go, mate. Uh, enjoy the final. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Absolutely, and uh, oh. yeah, thank you, Nigel. <laughs> uh, just, so join us next week, ladies and gentlemen, on Box to Box, when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.